I'm Mike Gorman, and you're listening to the Celtics Pod podcast for Celtics Blog. Here's your host, Adam Taylor. Good morning, Celtics fans. Happy Wednesday. As usual, I'm your boy, Adam Taylor. As usual, I'm joined by my homie, my compadre, my co-host in crime, Mr. Will Weir. What's going on, Will? What's popping, Taylor gang? How you feeling today? Oh, what's popping? I tell you what, I feel like I got a brand new whip just hopped in. Yeah? Yeah, I got options. <laughs> I'm telling you, I'm feeling like Jack Harlow up in here, just winning at life, dude. So we're recording this quite early on Tuesday, mainly because we had the time, so why not? So I'm like literally an hour and a half removed from watching the game. So I'm still riding that wave, you know, I'm yep. still on the precipice of that vibe. Uh, <laughs> I, I like that saying. I, I'm I'm right there, so I'm pumped, I'm amped. I want to talk some C's ball, but before we do that, before we get into that, Will, what's going on in your day-to-day, man? You're keeping good. Hey, man, we're doing well here. I like when we do these kind of morning pods, at least morning pods for me. It's kind of like a mid-afternoon pod for you. Yeah. You know, I get my little cup of coffee. I come here. I set up. I pull up, you know, the box score. I mean, like you said, it's it's an interesting perspective because I think usually when we record, we do so later in the day, you know, towards the end of the day for you, more like, you know, end of the quote-unquote work day for me, 4 or 5 p.m. And, like, usually it's, like, set up with all these notes and, like, I'm trying to figure out what we're talking about. But but I kind of like these because it's, like, wake up. And, you know, last night, watched the game on playback with our other co-host, Greg. He and I did a podcast after that. I go to sleep. I wake up. And so it's, like, I've had a little bit of time. Like, you have that sleep period to kind of digest everything. But now I get to come in here, talk to you. You're coming on a new perspective from the game. And so I like having these kind of almost double reactionary podcasts that I get to do. And so I get, like, two different reactions that I get to kind of play off. And I've had time to kind of, like, digest. I haven't had a second watch. That's the one thing. That's the one downside. I haven't had time for a second watch. But I get to kind of see where you're at, and then we can kind of, you know, we get to hash it out together. It's like morning coffee with a friend where we get to hash out our thoughts together yeah dude and like we're both even because i'm literally just coming off the first watch so there's going to be far more stuff that i'm going to pick up on watch number two obviously but i like it too you know i didn't make a coffee for this one i will admit it i kind of regret that now but we're here (laughs) you know we're here so we're gonna dive into it we're gonna dive in and i want to start with and i do want to make it very clear that this guy needs all the love. He needs all the attention right now. I think we need to praise him to the hilt. And that's a Mr. Al Horford, man, Let's coming go. in clutch again. This isn't first time. Coming in clutch again in the playoffs, showing everybody that age is nothing but a number. Just dominating, dude. Like, I think there was a point in time where I was just like, dude, Al Horford is impenetrable. So the thing that I, so I, first of all, we use the word impactful a lot on this show when we talk about whether it's, usually it's in regard to Rob or Marcus. I think last night Al Horford was the definition of, of impactful. You know, you, you felt him all over that game. And I think the crazy part was he didn't need to score. You know, we, we talk about, you know, look at last series, right? And like Al, yeah. you know, showed up in a big way and he had the, what, 22 in, in game three. And then, of course, the big 30 point, you know, 
um, game in game four. And, and that was the way that he made, you know, not that he didn't do other stuff, but that was a way that really stood out. You know, you were like, oh my God, Al's putting the ball in the hole like this. Like this isn't even, you know, old Al. Al doesn't have 30 point games. Like that's not this an Al. Al. <laughs> this is a new Al. Like I don't know who this guy is, but then you look at last night and, you know, he has one made field goal. He scores five points total. He didn't hit, you know, a, a field goal until the third quarter. But, and yet that, and honestly, like when that happened, it shocked me because he felt like he was all over the court on His both ends. Were everywhere, exactly. And so just by proxy, I had just assumed, well, Al must have, you know, 10, 15 points at the, like, and I'm just not <laughs> noticing, but he was just doing every little thing and didn't need to score to do it. And, and to me, sometimes that's, that's a truly impactful game because scoring is the crux of, of the sport of basketball. Right. That's that's how you win. Whoever scores more points wins the game. So that's what always is going to stand out more when a guy drops 30 or guy drops 40, 50. And, and with good reason, those are celebrated. Those are, you know, acknowledged. But last night for a guy to have five points and he's the place that, that you want to start. And I'm glad you started there because I felt the same way. Like that tells you right there. Impactful equals Al Horford last night. And, you know, once again, he's. He like we had this debate. I think what was it last time you and I were together? Like, who's more important, Marcus Smart or Al Horford? Yeah, and I, said, I said you can make a case either way. Here's your case for Al Horford. Marcus Smart's out last night with the injury. Hopefully, he's back for Game Five. You know, but he's out with the double injuries that he's got going on now. Al steps up. Al was all over the place last night, and you know, once again, thank you, Brad Stevens, for for bringing him back in the fold. I know. I feel like we need to do a, a Wayne's World right now for Brad Stevens. We're not worthy. <laughs> I, now, how often have you ever heard me give a player a nickname? Me not personally, I don't think often. I have done. I think every once in a while you've you've shot from the hip, but then you pull it back. So let's see what. Yeah. You got. Okay. So this one I kind of come up with again from the hip, but this one like I'm gonna I'm gonna push to make it stick, and that's Al Alcatraz Horford. Interesting. Okay, I think I know where you're going, but tell me more. He's locking your butt up. <laughs> you know what I mean? You're in jail when Al's on the floor, man. So I'm going to go with Mr. Al. Okay, Al I like Horford. that. I like that. I've been calling him this postseason because I feel I, I feel like this postseason, Al has taken on a new role within the team. Like He's been yeah. Uncle Al. You know, He's been like the, the solid veteran in the background. I've been calling him Animated Al all postseason. I like Animated Al. Yo, animated dude, Alcatraz. He's animated Alcatraz. He is flexing. He's giving, you know, he's, he's looking out into the crowd. No, at dude, one point, when he dap, dapping him up yesterday, I was just about to say, at one point, when he goes to the line, he, you know, I don't think he was excessive, but he, he, he took his time making sure <laughs> he hit almost everybody along that sideline, letting them know, letting them see him. And like, it's, I love it because, you know, and I talked about this, I think during, during last series, is that I, you know, Al's been kind of behind the scenes, that leadership, and, and you know, he's not usually a guy that you see talking smack. He got into got into it with Giannis in the last series. You know, he's clearly, you know, taking on what feels like almost a, a little bit of a new role to be a little bit chest out, a little bit alpha, like, yo, this is this is our this is our house, this is our team. Like, you don't come mess with us on the road or if we're at home. And and it feels like Al just has seen enough, like just in his career that this is what this team needs is they need him to be not just the quiet leader in the background, but he needs to be vocal on the court as well. And I love seeing it. It gets me so excited anytime I see him get animated. So animated out. Like that quiet kid in class, right? You remember when you was at school and that one quiet kid would just like switch up on somebody and like really put them in the place. And you know that if that kid's had to switch, 
yeah. and tell you about yourself, then you push that kid too far. And I feel like Horford's kind of, I don't think he'd ever admit it. And again, I'm just postulating here. It's nothing I can kind of attest to. But I think he feels some type of way about how the last few years have gone for him. And this is really a good way to redeem himself. And he's at a team that he clearly has appreciation for. So, look, man, you want to put your chest out, you do it, bro. And I'll tell you what, I'm going to run with Animated Alcatraz as the new nickname. Yeah. I want it on, I want it on um, Basketball Reference by the end of the month. <laughs> I mean, they put a lot of nicknames in there, so I think we got a chance. <laughs> we got a chance, dude. And I want it in brackets, coined by Adam and Will. <laughs> the other thing, like, uh, so I'm writing about this at the moment. I posted a breakdown onto my Instagram earlier today on Tuesday. One of the main ways that Boston kind of attacked Miami, we, we can talk about the defense in a moment because I want to get onto how they contained Bam. But one of the ways that they really took advantage offensively was mismatch hunting, which just sounds like, you know, oh, well, every game there's mismatch hunting, everything. Yeah, that's fine. I get it. But there's successfully hunting mismatches and then there's trying and failing to hunt mismatches. And this game, in terms of the way they hunted those mismatches, reminded me of how they went about their business in game six against Milwaukee, which was the last time it was so prominent. And game six was the game that was the turning point in that series, which is why I'm kind of looping this all together, right? They won game six, went on to win game seven. They come into this game and it's very much right then. We want to get Gabe Vincent. We want to get Caleb Martin, Duncan Robinson, or um, Max Struess. Those are the guys we want defending whoever we put on the ball. How are we going to do that? We're going to run inverted screens. We're going to run screening actions to keep getting switches until we get who we want. Staggers, single corner pin downs, you name it. They were throwing it all out there. And all of a sudden, Tatum's getting guarded by Duncan Robinson and going deep into his bag. Jalen Brown's attacking guys off the dribble, getting to that mid-range. The ball's popping around. There was a play early in the game, which is the one I highlighted on Instagram, where... Derek White sets an inverted screen. Little guy screens, big guy. That's it. You just switch. You invert the screen. Um, it switches Tatum onto, I can't remember who it was now. I think it's onto Struess. Tatum drives and there's five on the ball. They send the entire team into the paint to, to defending it. Peyton Pritchard gets the free. You know what I mean? And it was like, when have you ever seen the Celtics? I say, when have you ever? When recently, over this throughout this series, when have you seen the Celtics manipulate a defense like this against Miami? In game, the, the winning game two was very much smash you in the face, running transition, yeah. smashing. This was more. There was transition basketball. Let's not get it wrong, because the defense was so good. But in the half court, they were they were toying with them. They were just dangling the mouse above the cat and just waiting for the swipes. And then just you know, you reach, I teach. Yeah. Um, I just thought it was a really intelligently executed four quarters of basketball. Yeah, and I mean, I think you can look at the, you know, you look at the free throw line disparity because that's where I think this comes in a lot, right? When you get those mismatches, what typically tends to happen, right? It's either a guard guiding up or, or a guy guarding who's who's not quick yeah. enough to stay with somebody. You, you get them hacking, you get them reaching, you reach, I teach, you know, right? That's the old saying. And so, you know, you look at the free throw disparity. Celtics go to the line 38 times last night, make 32 free throws. The Heat only go to the line 14 times and they only made eight of them. So very bad on both ends there for the amount and for the, and for the percentage that they made. And, and that honestly is the, you know, like last night was a really weird game, I thought, overall. 
because yeah. you look at that free throw disparity and that is kind of telling of, of certain parts of it. And obviously we're going to get to the Celtics defense, which was phenomenal last night. And I think Rob being back the way Al played, you know, all of that played, played a role into it. Um, but nobody shot the ball well last night. Let's just, let's just be straight up honest about that. Nobody shot the ball well last night. Celtics shoot under, I think both teams shoot under 40% from the field. Heat shoot 33%. Celtics shoot 39. So just under 40, but only shoot 23% from three. The Heat actually outshot them from three, despite how, despite not making a field goal until about, you know, seven, eight minutes into the game, you know, and they shoot 38%, 39% from the three point line. So nobody really shot well in this game. So really getting those mismatches being, a bit more calculated on that on that offensive end was what ultimately made the difference for the Celtics and allowed them to get, you know, Jason Tatum got to the line 16 times last night. You've heard me say it before, Adam, about these, you know, dirty 30 games that superstars have. That's exactly what Jason Tatum had last night. Like, yeah, last yeah. night did not feel like a game. If you like if you just didn't if, if you just had to say how do you feel Jason Tatum was last night, he was fine, right? You you would not you didn't feel like that was a 30 point game. We've all, you know, especially you and I watching the Celtics, we know what a 30 point Jason Tatum game feels like. And if he's getting the line 16 times, usually that's a 40 or 50 game. You know what I mean? Yeah. But like, sure. and, and, and you know, there was clearly, you know, the threes weren't falling. His, there, it, he was shorting a lot of them. I'm, I'm sure probably the shoulder was playing a, a factor into that, but he found a way. And that's the entire premise of the dirty 30 game is that your best player finds a way to scratch and claw to that 30 point mark that doesn't feel like it. And you look up and they have 30 points and your team has a win. And that's what Jason Tatum did last night. And that was all precipitated on the, on the offensive game plan that you just laid out. And you know what it is as well? It's rim pressure. It's those second chance points, those third chance points. The Celtics are just first to everything. Yeah. And to me, that's just a, that's a pride thing. A lot, obviously, the size of Boston helped. I felt like Boston was just a stronger team, a bigger team, but they were first to every single loose ball. It felt like it just felt like as soon as it come off the rim, Boston going to get that. You know, I saw the one play, I think it was in the second quarter, maybe to start the third. Al Horford literally snatches the ball from over Bam Adebayo's head on the rebound. Mm -hmm. Bam's literally about to, and I was just like, nah, that's mine. And then kicks it out. And it was those type of plays where I was like, yo, this team, like it's not that they want to win it's they're not going to allow themselves to lose there's a difference yeah. and i remember brad stevens speaking about that last season like when we had isaiah thomas he just wouldn't let us lose it's not that he wanted to win he just didn't want to lose yeah. and you know there is a difference in the way you approach a game there and if the celtics can keep that mentality in game five and game six the series is done if they can't you know then you know at the end of the day We've seen what Miami can do if you take your foot off the gas for one quarter. Yeah, I, I mean, this is this is what it comes down to with the Celtics, right? There's there's two things that that will either you know put the Celtics in the finals or prevent them themselves shooting themselves in the foot. You know, we've seen if the Celtics just take care of the ball, it Miami should not win these games. Right now, in two wins, they have 18 turnovers. In two losses, they have 39. I'm not great at math, Adam, but that averages out to about 20 turnovers per game. So per game, they're getting un in losses what their total turnovers are in the two wins. It's not yeah. very good. That's not good. You're not going to win like that against a team like Miami that, listen, like that I think has shown, you know, obviously they're, they're a tough team. They're gritty. We've talked about them being aggressive, like they're well coached. Like this team is, is, is not a joke. So I don't want to make it seem like that, but 
you look at game two, you look at game four, you don't turn the ball over, you're mildly healthy. Each game you're missing one guy, really switch out Derek White and Marcus Smart. You're mildly healthy. This team should not lose. The Celtics should not lose. I said to you before we came on, this is the closest a 2-2 series I feel like has ever been to being a sweep. We're two real quarters away. They did get a win in the in the fourth quarter last night. The Miami Heat did, but obviously that was inconsequential. Before that, or before that, like you take encapsulate all of the quarters. They've got those two quarters. They've got the first quarter in Game Three and the third quarter in Game One. If you can change the momentum of those two isolated quarters, this could be a sweep right now because yeah. all the stats tell you that aside from the turnovers, the Celtics are the better team. They're the better team. They're more talented. They have more answers. They have more options. That's just the straight facts. And, and that's the somewhat the, the rub of, of being 2-2 right now is that this series potentially should be over or feel over. But because, you know, the health is – the longer you go, the health is in question. We saw Grant grabbing that shoulder. I mentioned Tatum earlier. You know, uh, Derek White got a little bit of a cramp at the end of the game. Hopefully that's nothing. You know, Jalen Brown always has kind of that hammy lingering. Rob Williams played 18 minutes last night. He, you know, he clearly was not himself by the end of his 18-minute stint. You could tell that he was laboring, getting up and down the court. You know, Al's just older. As much as we're praising Al, he's older. So you never know if something, you know – can, can get tweaked. And so the longer the series goes, the more opportunity is for us to not take care of the ball, for the injuries to catch up, for us to not have the right lineups, which lead to us not taking care of the ball because we have people in the wrong roles. And so I think that's the the rub and the frustrating part of the series is it's 2-2, and yet Miami is certainly nowhere close to dead, and there is going to be opportunities for them to jump back into this when really there shouldn't be because the Celtics, I think very clearly are the better team. So here's my take on Rob Williams. And the reason I'm bringing this up now is because I think it ties back into this conversation. Yeah. So I don't want Rob Williams being a, and nobody does. So I'm not, again, like, you know, I'm not different to anybody else. I'm not thinking differently. No, I don't want to, I don't want him to be a game to game decision. So why not put him on a minutes restriction for at least the rest of this series? You know what I'm saying? Because we saw how impactful he could be in 18 minutes of play. Yeah. Like he made such an impact that the Celtics were out in a lead that was insurmountable. Why can't you do that, but spread it over three quarters or spread it over four or play him like and, and have him every game, but not with the wear and tear of a full 30 minute night. Do you know what I yeah. mean? So yeah. you're managing him more. And I get that that's not going to limit, that's not going to stop him from encountering swelling. So why not get the 28 minutes and get swelling? But what you might find is the swelling goes down quicker because there's less usage yeah. on the knee. And for me, like a large portion of what went right for Boston in those early exchanges to create that that lead, you know, that first, what was it? Eight, one 18, point it was 18 to one run to start the game. Yeah. What was it? Eight points in the first minute. No, mm-hmm. sorry. Eight, one point in the first eight minutes of play because it was like For, um, yeah. it was a record. I got that wrong the first time. It was right the second time. But Rob was such a huge part there in kind of deterring drives. Guys were having to. There was one play early where they went to Miami went to that corner action, corner action with PJ Tucker as the screen and roll guy, and they like you know they like to curl off that screen and attack in that mid post area. PJ Tucker will slip get into the middle, like towards the nail in that short roll kind of area, get the little um, pocket pass and he likes to hit that floater. But Rob being there made him release it quick and it front rooms out. It's just, it's not always Rob blocking shots. His presence speeds guys up. 
Yeah. And if you're if you're not knowing if he's available game to game to game because his knees are keeping flaming, you know, he's had surgery, maybe he's over maybe he's putting too much weight on the opposite knee to kind of counteract any soreness he's got from the you just don't know. We're not doctors. But if you could put him on a minutes restriction and have him available every night for 15 to 19 minutes, to me, that's far more beneficial. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I think there's no perfect answer is unfortunately the, you know, the situation right now. Oh, sure. And it's, and it's going to, it's just going to be a, a game to game type thing as to what you do. But I, I think your, your point is, is spot on and it's, it's probably worth a try of something where you limit him to, you know, four to five minute runs in each quarter. And you try to, to maximize what you can get out of, of Rob Williams, because you, you juxtapose last night or game four with, with, with the start of, of game three, and it, it's really hard to get by with Daniel Tice in the series. Daniel Tice is a guy that Miami Heat have, you know, some bubble memories of that they all feel really, really good about going up against Daniel Tice. And listen, Daniel Tice is absolutely a great, you know, third, third, fourth big man. Have you want to look at him to have in your rotation? I'm really glad he's back. He was he was very, very helpful in that Brooklyn series and even parts of Milwaukee. He played he played well. This is just not the matchup for him. This is not a good matchup for him. And part of it is just a mentality thing that Miami sees Daniel Tice and they're ready to eat. And part of that you talked about with Rob Williams, there's not that that fear factor that kind of speeds them up a little bit. And that's what Rob is. Where's Rob coming from when I get by my guy who maybe he closes out hard? Oh, no, here's Rob Williams at the rim. When Daniel Tice is there, there's not that same fear. There's not that same, you know, there's not that same um, impotence to be like, oh, wait, hold on. I need to get this. I need to get the arc on the shot a little bit more. I need to get this shot off a little bit quicker. There's just not that same level. And for whatever reason, Miami has been feasting in those in those Daniel Tice minutes. And I don't think it's entirely as well. I think part of it's just the way, just just the, the series. It's just, a, it's just not a good matchup. And so if you can even get robbed for those, like you said, 15 to 20 minutes and really manage those, like, that's going to make a difference. And that's part of, you know, my not annoyance, but frustration with where the series is going to continue to go longer is that we're not going to get that break to get, to get these guys healthy that they need that we could have if we seize these opportunities and not shoot ourselves in the foot. Uh, because when Rob's out there, it is a massive difference. And you talked about earlier about Bam Adebayo, you know, we saw two different Bams in this, you know, in the stint in Boston game three, ultra aggressive, you know, clearly went in with a mindset that, Hey, listen, I'm, I'm going to go get some points to open up my facilitation. I feel like usually he's kind of the other way around. I want to facilitate. And then, you know, I'll pick my spots when I can, you know, go get some buckets. And he's just not, that's not his game to go be a guy that gets you 30, but he did. So he can do it, but it's not his game to go do it. But he came out with just a different mentality and mindset. Part of that, like I said, Daniel Tice being in the game, he knows, Hey, listen, Al might, be able to guard me, but if I can get by him or I can get around him or get my shot off, there's no Rob Williams coming. No one's no one's coming else. So it's just me and Al. And he he's an all-star player. You know, he's not a superstar, but he's an all-star player. So he feels confident. Last night he only shoots the ball five times. And I know you talked about you you wanted to get into some of the reasons that the Celtics were able to contain Bam. So I'd love to hear you kind of go into that more because that was something that really stood out to me last night was just the two different BAMs that we saw from game three to game four. Yeah, so I, I want to premise this by saying I need to watch it a second time. So some of these might yeah. be a little bit off the mark. And again, they're just my opinion. The first thing I think is that Bam's creation opens up 
scoring opportunities for him. You know, having him in that DHO, whoever takes the ball off him, as long as they've got some scoring gravity, are going to drag defenders so he can ghost on his role towards the rim and be available. Miami are limited in terms of offensive initiators anyway. They don't have much half-court creation. You've really got Tyler Hero. Who's um, out? Ka- yeah, Kyle Lowry, Jimmy Butler. Both of them goes a banged up. So I think not having somebody to play off of him and take some of the defensive focus away from him to let him do stuff kind of in this i like to call it in the seams mm-hmm. like work in the seams while everyone's focused on him. that really slowed him down because he's just got no one to play off of and while he is a guy that can get you 30 he's not a guy that's going to create 30 points for himself it's yeah. just not he's going to play off of a two-man game and he's going to be an elite guy that, in terms of generating offense for you and for him and you the other part of it is when Rob's there, and I said this on a previous podcast as well, when Rob's there, Al Horford, can the, the pickup point is higher for Al Horford. He can pick you up a little bit higher up the floor for that reason you said, because if Bam does get by him, Rob's right there, and Bam's not going to want to try and shoot over Rob consistently all night. And then finally, you know, with Rob there as well, you can play a bit more drop, so you can have Al or Grant Williams there, sturdy bodies that are going to be able to absorb some contact as you roll to the rim. And if you get through them, guess who's waiting for you in the wings? So I think that part of it is down to Miami's lack of half-court initiation because without somebody to play off of, Bam Adebayo is a playmaking big with no one to playmake for. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And then what? Like it's just kind of like, well, where do we go now? Where's his effect now? Oh, he's effective as a, ro- a rim roller. Well, not when Rob Williams and Al Horford are there. So I think that it was very much a situational thing for him. I think we would have seen a bit more bam if Tyler Hero was healthy or Jimmy Butler was closer to the Jimmy Butler we saw in games one, two, and three, right? But on the other side of the coin, I just think that it's no coincidence that Bam's best game is the game where Rob isn't playing. I don't think that's a coincidence at all. I think that, you know, people really underestimate the value of this double big lineup. And I know so many of us were against it earlier in the season, but the versatility both in switchability, guarding on the perimeter, picking guys up high and rotating down low of Al and Rob is just really difficult for somebody to break down. And unless you're like an elite superstar, like, you know, we were talking Joel Embiid, Nicola Jokic, you're going to struggle figuring out how to counter the two of them. You might counter one, but it's going to be tough. Unless you have one of those, you know, super, like like almost superstar unicorns. And that's what Giannis was. And that's part of why, you know, Giannis gave us a little bit of trouble with that lineup because, because Rob, I mean, because Giannis at a certain point is like, I'd rather actually have Rob guard me because Rob can't handle my physicality. You know what I mean? And so that those are the handful that, that necessarily it might not work quite as well against, but you still need bodies to go up against those guys. So it actually is still, it still is beneficial, but you have to change the way that you play a little bit. But in series like this, it really does help in the way that, you know, especially when Miami wants to try and go to their, to their zones and you have Rob in the dunker spot. You know, like that opens up a ton. Like I think of that Al to Rob alley-oop that they had last night. You know, you can get that little high-low action. It opens up a lot more that you can do. And where Al's jump shot has refound him in this, you know, late in the season into the postseason where this was always kind of the vision. This is why, you know, a, a Daniel Tice, Tristan Thompson <laughs> double big lineup will one of many reasons why it was never going to, (laughs) 
why it was never going to work is that they don't have that same dynamic, but where Al can space, Al can facilitate, Rob can facilitate, Rob can be down in the dunker spot. You have this interchangeability of the way that you can rotate that deep, that offense, the way that you can create that movement. And if you want to play zone, you know, you can have Al out on the wing. You can have Al in the middle. You can have Rob in that dunker spot. You can have Rob, you know, at kind of the fulcrum point where he's running dribble handoffs. Like there's different things that you can do with the two of them. And then you play that off of your two stars and then whether it's Derek White or Marcus Smart, whoever it may be, Peyton Pritchard, like you can all make that work and be very dynamic while doing it. And that's once again, like I say, if this team is even mildly healthy, they have more answers to whatever is going to happen in the flow of a game. The Celtics just have more answers than the Miami Heat do on both sides right now, whether it's half-court offensive creation, whether it's half-court defense and being able to match up with everybody. The Celtics have more answers they just can't shoot themselves in the foot and they have to be mildly healthy. And this series should and will be over, in my opinion. And I just want to kind of touch on that zone defense while we're here because, yeah. you know, Miami ran out that 2 2 1 zone and then it flowed into a 2 3 zone. And They, they, they threw some zone I'm pretty sure at one point I was like are they running a buxom one with Aladipo and Horford and I, I don't think they did but it looked that way for a hot yeah. second and it made me chuckle to myself because I'm like that's desperation dude. <laughs> um, and it wasn't when I went back but it's just a bit anecdotal boxing one for a guy with five points <laughs> yeah it's just a bit anecdotal for me but like um, what I was getting at was when they ran that zone who was the first guy to cut middle consistently towards the nail it was Al Horford. Every yeah. time he recognized there was a zone, bang, I'm cutting straight into that free throw line area, ran the nail, give me the ball and cut off me. And it's like Boston's zone struggles started when Al left. They finished when he came back. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I'm not saying that, you know, if Al leaves or retires in the future, then they're struggling. No, because guys are learning from him. Mm-hmm. And I just think that, he, as you said at the start of the show, um, podcast show, whatever you want to call it, Al's leading this team in a different way now but there's times where i see grant williams be that guy to cut now there's times where it's jason tatum where it's Jalen brown and that zone defense there's so much so rewarding about watching this celtics team blow open a miami zone in a conference finals oh it my just, god it, it, dude it's just like so full circle yeah it's like it's like in a movie where you have to go like you know eviscerate the the demons of the past right yeah <laughs> you got to go through and you got to take them out before you get to the next level and that's part of it and so you know seeing that miami can't just be like all right well let's just throw this zone and watch watch boston be confused you know for the next you know three for the next 10 minutes you know and the fact that they can't do that you know takes a wrinkle you know out of their playbook that they don't they don't have to go to and you know gets back to the point of if they don't get out in transition, I, I just don't see a way Miami can can win this can win the series. It's in uh, and like you know maybe I was a bit hasty before when I was like it's over, it's over, you know what I mean maybe I was a bit hasty at that point. So I'm not going to be hasty again and make that proclamation. I've made it once. We'll leave it there. What I will say is we're starting to see growth across the board in just in terms of game management as well. The way these guys are exploding one moment and then, you know, they're, they're walking the ball up the next, they're taking what the defense is giving them. And this is all leading me up to Udoka pulling guys off the floor with eight minutes left in the fourth. Thank God. 
And yeah, and just being like, yo, we're done, dude. Like, you know, we'll keep D White out there to keep things ticking over. We'll keep it comfortable. We got Grant out there, but let's give Neesmith some minutes because Neesmith earned some extra looks from the way he played. Yeah, uh, was it game three that he played? It was game one. Was it game one? Um, they're all blending into everything. They dude. really are. They they're really are so tough. fast. And um, you know, Neesmith rewards him with that disrespectful block towards the end of the game. I just think that you know. Um, the garbage time captain yeah i'm telling you dude <laughs> this guy is like telling telling him like dude next season you best be giving me some real minutes you know but yeah. um jokes aside talking about neesmith like you know i want him to succeed jokes aside that was growth from ma because there's been many a game during the regular season even some in the postseason where you're like dude you could pull the starters a little bit earlier than this even if it's just a minute two minutes and to do it with eight minutes left i was just like he may starting to trust that bench unit a little bit more and he didn't go too deep into it, but it shows that maybe he thinks the team's a bit deeper than what he did three months ago. I think that's a very optimistic look at it, but, uh, I, you know, I think for me, part of it was Miami. You know, had, had, optimistic had... Anyway. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't want to rain on the parade because I, like, I, I see your point. I think part of it though was, I mean, Miami had no intention of coming back with, with Kyle Lowry, Jimmy Butler and bam very clearly early on in, in the fourth quarter. And, you know, I, I feel like is a little bit from that, you know, even though he's not from that pop school, he's from that pop mind, like that pop mindset, right? There's so many times where, where pop, you'll just see him be like, listen, tonight's not the night. I got Tim Duncan, Manu Ginobili, and Tony Parker who need to rest their legs. I ain't wasting them on, you know, trying to trying to form a 25-point comeback in the fourth quarter when we have zero momentum on our side. Let's throw out, like, you know, our backup lineup, and if they make a run, they make a run. I'll roll with it. But, like, I'm not bringing back my guys to, to you know, keep that energy going. And so Spolstra did that very early on with his, you know, with his main starters to kind of give them a little bit of a break. But... I still want to give you my credit because in game two, I don't have any hair to pull out, but I would have, I pull up my beard here. Let's discuss this. I have beard hair that I can pull it. I was pulling out my beard hair saying, get these guys out of here. And last night as we were watching the game, you know, I was watching it on playback with our other co-host Greg. And we were like, are we going to have the same conversation we had in, in game two where we're debating for five minutes of when Ime is going to finally pull these guys so that they don't play 40 minutes and don't get injured in this game. And thank God for the most part, he took them all. He left Derek White in to kind of let him, you know, keep the boat steady a little bit. And, and it's just a short bench. It really is. Especially when you take off, you know, when you start losing a couple guys to injury, like, like, you know, you, it's just a really short bench, but it was good to see that Ime did preserve some of our guys and kept them for the most part at very reasonable minutes. Derek White played 40 minutes, but other than that, you know, Grant got down to 36 and more importantly, you know, Jalen kept under 30. Al was at 33 Tatum right around 34, you know, just, you don't think about it, but those six, seven minutes that they're not playing in a high intensity game and in a series where, like you said, it is rapid fire. And I think this is a little bit of a mistake by the, by the NBA, not having at least at some point in the series, two days off like as a fan I love like like and I get it because I love that every other day I know there's a Western Conference final Eastern Conference final Western Conference final Eastern Conference final and I know every night I have something to look forward to but from a health standpoint and getting the best basketball I even said to you I didn't I thought last night very happy the Celtics won wasn't particularly entertaining didn't have a great flow to it like from a pure basketball standpoint if you're not a Celtics fan and you're 
just a casual fan turning into the Eastern Conference Finals, can't imagine you had a great time watching that game last night. Like, it just does not seem like that enjoyable of a product. With And you see the, the paragraph of injury reports that are coming out every day from these two teams, and we're all waiting for who's going to have the, you know, the, who, who's going to have the the tweet that comes out, this guy's healthy, this guy's out. And that's what the whole day was, was waiting to see who's in and who's out. And, you know, part of that is just as every other day. And, like, it really feels a little bit like like the NBA dropped the ball here, not having one or two op- one or two days in between some of these games just to get a better product on the floor. Because I think you're seeing it hurt right now with the way these teams are banged up. And then from, like, a work standpoint, like, dude, like I, I said to you a minute ago, games are bleeding in. So I don't know what's going on yeah. from a day to day. Just as I'm wrapping my head around game four, game five's happened. I've got to wrap my head around game five. By the time my head's wrapped around that completely, game six is here. Yeah. You know what I mean? So There's no time hard. to digest any of these games, you know? No. It's, it's, it's just on to the next one. It's just Miami versus Boston. There is no <laughs> games. It's just we're going to play until somebody wins. And we yeah. don't know how we're going to win yet, but we're going to do it. Injuries are a good, like, you know, we spoke about that in the, uh, me and Greg spoke about that. We touched on it on our last show as well. It is, con- like, it's a concern, definitely. And then I think the last thing I want to touch on, i got four minutes here before I need to go and sit in traffic, as I always say when we're recording these day ones. Uh, Peyton Pritchard's just fun, man. Yeah. Like, I just want to leave it there. I just want to hit on Peyton Pritchard real quick. The dude is just fun to watch, man. Like, his handles, his speed, his changes of speed, the ability to change direction, those deep freeze, half court freeze, like, you know, full even court one, freeze. Even the one that didn't count. That's what I'm saying, dude. Like, you know, this dude's the Kevin Love of cross court passes, but with freeze. Like, it's just so much fun to watch. And that's what I wanted to ask you as well. Did you see the the spoofing heading into game four where he was like kind of not blaming Pritchard, but saying that Pritchard was a little bit dirty for grabbing at Butler's knee. So I only saw this like literally before tip off last night. Like I hadn't really seen it. And then as I was doing some, uh, like some prep work last night before the game leading up to it, I had seen it. So, but I, I didn't know how much it had made the rounds or like how prevalent it was. I hadn't, you know, I hadn't seen anything until right towards the end. So maybe, maybe fill me in a little bit more. Cause, cause I only caught like a little bit of it. Yeah. So Spo was basically just saying in an interview, he was talking to um, a reporter for the Miami Herald at the time. And it was just basically like, I don't think that play by Pritchard was a basketball play. It should have been called as a foul. But he did say, like, look, I'm not saying that's what caused Jimmy's knee inflammation, like, because we don't know, and it would yeah. be wrong of me to say so. And we're not crying about it. We're going to deal with it. But at the same time, it was, you know, it wasn't a basketball play. Kind of not saying it, but alluding to, you it, know, Pritchard it, was it, a bit The dirty. little bit I saw felt a little bit like the Jordan Poole, Ja Morant situation yeah, from, yeah. From, from last round, right? Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. But, like, you know, at the time, Pritchard's on the floor, and it feels like he's just trying to foul Jimmy just to stop the play. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Now, I, you know, I probably would have grabbed his butt if he could have. Just grab whatever <laughs> you can to get the foul. You know, it just so happened yeah. that it was the knee. But um, I thought that was quite interesting because, again, it didn't really blow up from a Celtic standpoint, but it definitely seemed to gain some traction from a Miami side. And I was just like, I don't like, I agree. It probably wasn't a basketball play, but it by no means but it was wasn't dirty. dirty. Yeah, right. It, no it, it's, it's you're just taking a foul. You're on the ground. So you're just like, I just want to take a foul here. You know? Yeah. And, yeah. 
And, and once again, you don't... Short, so his arms are yeah. little, so he's got to the knee. <laughs> he can only do so much. He's scrappy, right? Well, you his band's not there, dude. And if it was, then Jimmy would have been hitting somewhere far more painful. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, it's one of those things that, like, you know, you, you can speculate on it, but I, I, I'm i with you. I, I saw the, the play in question. I don't think it was dirty. I think he just went to go grab any part. I mean, you're, you're thinking about in the moment there. I don't think he was like, oh, hey, great opportunity to shake Jimmy's knee and make, you know, and, and rough it up. Like, I don't think that that was what crossed Peyton Pritchard's mind. I think he was on the ground, went to go grab something to to stop Jimmy from just, you know, running full force into the lane and, and getting a layup and just trying to, to commit a take foul. And so, you know, it, it is what it, it is. Really it's, is. A, it, it, it's a foul, but it's not. But I, I didn't think it was dirty from from the replay that I've seen of, of what Spolsch was referring to. And I'm just going to end it here by saying Derek White, any Derek White haters out there, this is why he's on the team because yeah. he was aggressive. He was good. Uh, the, it was that baby daddy game that everybody was saying was inevitable. Hey, the Fred Van Vliet bump. Yep, you gotta be done. You gotta do what you gotta do. Congratulations to Derek White and his family as well. Yeah, man, we we, we didn't spend enough time on Derek White. I know we gotta we gotta wrap up, but he does deserve a shout out. So I'm glad you, you threw him in here. You know, he, he he was just confident last night. And I think yeah, he's the Derek White. And depending on what happens with you know Marcus Smart's injury, we need more of that Derek White. Like because we've given him a lot of praise for being a connector and accentuator. When Marcus is out, he needs to be more than that. Like he needs to be more prompt. That's the time where that's not enough. And and last night, just being confident on offense was going to allow, you know, if it was a close game, Eme to feel confident that he can go both ways with 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 Derek White. Because Derek White is what when Marcus Smart is out, the way that defense stays at its, you know, top level is with Derek White being out there. And offensively, Eme has to be able to trust him. Last night, Derek White was confident. I thought just just real quick for me. The first shot of the game was Derek White going downhill and getting to the rim, and it went in, and I said at the time, even if it didn't go in, I just love that that was his first mentality was to be aggressive, to go downhill, and to get that shot at the rim, just just to have that that bravado, that confidence, because we knew that that was needed out of him. So I thought that was a, a, a very telling sign that that was the very first play of the game. Far too early nickname, Derek Spearhead White. Right Didn't you then. just say you never give nicknames? This is the second nickname you've attempted to give in the same podcast. Yeah, dude. I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm trying. I'm, it's growth, right? This, I'm just adjusting. Yeah, I'm just adjusting to the times, dude. World of hot takes. I can give out a couple of random nicknames here and there. Just trying to have a, you know, add some entertainment to the show. Um, not that like, we're already entertained. I'm just trying to elevate, you know. I feel you, uh, but it's like it's like showmanship, though. It's like uh, it's like in in Seinfeld with George Costanza. You got to gotta go out in a high note. We nailed it with the animated Alcatraz. Like we yeah. nailed it with that one. I think and I think we got you, you, you got to go out in a high note. That's it, everybody. You got to walk away from the mic when we have one Mike. like that. Doom. <laughs> Right, everybody, if you enjoyed the show, please let us know. Make sure to share it on social media. I'm going to keep pushing this. I might even move this message to the beginning of the podcast. Um, we're meant to tweet it out. We're meant to say everything nice. You guys and girls doing it instead, or as well as us, actually goes 10 times further. Because if you're doing it, it means you enjoyed it and you're choosing to share it. So if you could find it in your heart, if you could find it in your spare couple of minutes of the day to post it on Twitter or post it on Instagram or ready or wherever you kind of reside socially, like digitally, then please do so. Cause that'd help a bunch. Uh, if you're new to the show, welcome. We hope you enjoyed it. Please head over to Apple and leave a five-star written review saying how amazing Adam will Adam and will are, or if you listen to one the other day where it was Adam and Greg or Adam, will and Greg, you know, just jump in there. We, we'd be very happy. 
Um, make sure to go follow my boy Will because my boy Will's a legend at Willbum13. Y'all know where you can find me already. If you don't and you're watching on YouTube, everything's already in the names. I'm going to sit in traffic on the way to collect my child from school. Thank you very much for tuning in. We will catch you again on Friday. Arrivederci. Ain't disrespecting you haters, I ain't sweating your opinion Y'all testing my patience, never did it for a check I've been impressed with the famous, just rather be creative Than stressing my wages, ageless Every time I lay a verse down, one play at a time Keep it moving like a first down And at the end of the day, I can say that I made this MJ never made it to the major, still he chased greatness Expected that he might fail 